Colin Douthit, and I'm here today with Anthony Vecino of Invictus Capital. Anthony, thank you so much for coming on here. Yeah, thanks for having me, Colin. Yeah, so I uh, wanted to get a chance to chat with you today about uh, yourself, what you guys do, and uh, the world of property management and how you guys have interacted with that and how we can you know, continue to make it a better industry. So uh, why don't you start off by telling us a little bit about yourself and your background? Yeah, so for me, I come from an entrepreneurial background. I've always been a really bad employee. When I'm working for somebody else, I'm kind of lazy. But when I'm working for myself, you know, I'll, I'll burn out and um, work really hard. So from an early age, I always knew I needed to go into business for myself. So I've, you know, I was a, a science fiction author for a while. I mm -hmm. started a high-rise window washing business. I have a light manufacturing company here in the Twin Cities. And so I've always had my hands into, you know, building things. And then with real estate, I kind of got bit by the real estate bug hard, maybe about four years ago. And I've been involved in real estate since 2014 and a lot of different ways doing fix and flips, but you know, I hate construction. Like okay. I can swing the hammer, but I can't hit the nail. So fix and flips isn't for me. Um, I really like multifamily because at its core, it's really simple. It's really mm -hmm. understandable. And I liken it to Lego blocks. So once you understand how the Legos click together, there's only so many ways they do, but you can build anything with it. You know, mm -hmm. you could build a Death Star, you could build a tractor, like you could do anything with Legos. It's the same thing with multifamily. You can go as big as you want. Um, but once you have that baseline understanding, you know, you're, you're good to go. And so we started, I started my multifamily journey uh, probably 2017 and just started small, went in getting triplexes and quads, things like that, where I could learn how to operate these assets. I wanted to learn how to work with the tenants and work with the city, understand uh, functionally, how do these little businesses work? Because each mm -hmm. building is kind of a little business. And so did that for a number of years or for about a year and um, quickly learned that I didn't want to be in the small multifamily. And that came back to you know, the valuation structure. I bought a triplex and then nine months later, it evaluated for $125,000 more than what I bought it for. And so that's a big win. That's awesome. But I didn't do anything to deserve it. I didn't put extra money in. I didn't drive up rents. I didn't decrease expenses or anything like that. It just happened to be based off of comparables. And so mm -hmm. that was the moment where I was like, okay, I need to go larger into larger scale multifamily where the valuations are based more on the merit and our, our work that we're putting in. And so I partnered up with my now partner, Dan Kruger, in 2019 to form Invictus Capital. And up to that point, we had been doing joint ventures, doing, you know, 10, 15, 20 unit buildings. And at the beginning of 2020, we executed our first syndication right. and then did our second syndication, just closed on that in November. And now we're doing another JV that we have under contract at this moment. So kind of using those two arrows in the quiver between syndication and joint venture to kind of to grow the portfolio. Okay, great, great. And uh, is all, are, are all of your properties there in the Twin Cities? They are, yep. And predominantly in St. Paul. So we're vertically okay. integrated. We do property management in-house. And so our strategy has always been to let's group these these assets close together. Because in St. Paul, it's not we're not buying 200 unit buildings or complexes. They don't really build them that big up here. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's more in that 20 to 40 unit range. And so we want to cobble those together and get the efficiencies of scale by grouping them together. And so that's okay. what we've done is kind of focused within certain neighborhoods. Okay, gotcha. No, that's that's great to hit that efficiency. So let's let's start with you as uh, as an employee. I feel like that was probably a common uh, theme that we shared with our background. So mm -hmm. uh, you found yourself as not a good employee, um, you know, kind of being uh, apathetic or possibly lazy. I believe you said. Um, yeah. How long were you in the were you in the corporate world? 
You know, I was never actually in the corporate world. I figured out really early okay. um, coming like in college that I was okay. never going to be a good employee. So there's a great Bill, Go uh, Bill Gates quote, which is, I'd rather hire a lazy A player than a hardworking B player because the lazy A player is going to figure out how to get the work done with less work in less time. Mm -hmm. And so that was me like working for other people, just menial jobs. You know, I did landscaping, I worked sales and like all these different jobs that you work in, in college. And in each one, I was the lazy A player where I could get the work done. I could in like half the time and I could just coast, mm -hmm. but I hate, I, like, I'm not that person inside. Like I feel that discontent when I'm just coasting, I always feel this need to, to push and to grow and to challenge. And so that left me with a lot of discontent, made me feel really bad about myself. And so I figured out very early on, I needed to go and do my own thing where I could become a hardworking A player for myself. Yeah, no, I completely understand what you're saying with that. I, I had uh, four corporate jobs out of coming out of the engineering world uh, mm -hmm. and then after getting let go for the second time from one of them, um, I was like, you know what? I think I need to strike out on my own. Uh, and then <laughs> Maybe this isn't know, for me. Yeah, no, not for me. And <laughs> kind of similar to you, I started with uh, buying some small multifamily, bought a seven unit and then a few packages, single families. And we kind of use that as our jumping off point to get to where we are uh, today. While we're not syndicating, uh, ownership was kind of my segue into uh, property management. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, I started, um, you know, uh, you know, uh, 2020, beginning of 2020 into 2019 with about 125 doors. So at a very similar place to where you're at size-wise. Um, tell me a little bit about how you guys are structured on, on the PM side. How are you guys handling property management? What do you guys have for staff? And how's that going? So right now, yeah, our total portfolio size is about 110 units. We have one full-time leasing guy who really handles everything tenant related. Mm -hmm. So he does the leasing, but then everything around that. And then we have a full-time maintenance guy with a part-time uh, maintenance guy on, in the wings. And so mm -hmm. we have the ability to flex as we bring on new acquisitions and we need more help for unit turns, mm -hmm. but we don't keep them on payroll unnecessarily. So for the size that we're at right now, that works really well, but we're right at this cusp where you know, we started started building out that property management side of the company a little bit earlier than, you know, the, the company could really justify because mm -hmm. we're all about trying to build for where we're going, not necessarily where we are. And yep. it's, it's much easier if from the very beginning you lay the foundation that you plan on building a skyscraper on than, you know, rather than trying to Jimmy rig it later and realizing like, oh, we can go bigger, but we need to do something with this foundation. So we've always had the, the tact of let's start a little bit bigger than what we think we're going to need right now. And we'll, mm -hmm. it'll force us to grow into it. So we're at that point now where we're, you know, maybe right on the cusp of needing another leasing agent, maybe another maintenance person to help with those unit turns. But, mm -hmm. um, that's, that's maybe a problem for the next acquisition. Okay. Gotcha. Do you have a full-time quote property manager or are you kind of handling that role? Who, who's, who's, you know, dealing with rent collections and tenant issues? Yeah. So that's, that's the leasing agent. That's the, he's, okay. he's really doing everything on that okay. front. Um, we got really fortunate, honestly, you know, regardless of what you're doing in life, whether it's relationships, business, real estate, like it, people are always the hardest part whether yeah. you're dealing with tenants or you're dealing with employees, like my other company um, is a manufacturing company. We have 20 employees. And honestly, like when we had five employees all the way up to when we had 20 employees, the, the problem has always been people. They're always the people hardest part, like finding, issues. they really are like finding really good. It's a cliche. Finding good help is so hard or it's hard to find mm -hmm. good help. Right. Like, but it's true. Like finding rock stars, uh, it's, it's, I don't know how to vet for it. You just kind of get lucky when they show up and you recognize it. And then you, you do everything you can to hold on to him. And we got really lucky with our property manager, leasing agent, because he came from a background with a much bigger operation. 
And he had been doing this. He had the experience where we we were lacking it in a lot of ways. We knew we wanted to build out this competency, but when we first started, we didn't know what we were doing. Um, So he really came in and really helped us build out those systems. Mm -hmm. Did you have him brought on from day one or did you guys ever kind of self-manage for a little bit before you brought on help? Um, I self-managed, I would say the first 12 or so properties that I had. And then Dan, he actually, you know, we started separately until we, uh, up until the point where we joined forces and his very first property, he tried third-party management and learned very quickly that that wasn't going to work for him. Like he's too much of a control freak. Mm -hmm. He wants to be, you know, hands-on. He wants to see, you know, the fruits of his labor, so to speak. Um, So he did the hands-on property management thing himself to start, but then as you're growing a business, the key is always to figure out how to pull yourself out of it, how to remove yourself. So you're not necessary on the day-to-day side. Otherwise you're just going to be stuck working in the business and never working on the business. So he brought on our now property manager uh, from day one, I would say pretty early, not day one, but really, really early on in the process. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, I, I, I think that's been key for him of like being able to pull out and then focus on expanding the portfolio. So now what we do mostly is the, the asset management side, side of things, like really high level working with the property manager to set the vision and the targets. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it's really up to, you know, the crew to, to execute towards that goal. Okay. No, great. I, I can appreciate that. Uh, so, you know, as you guys go forwards with your property management, you know, arm, you know, obviously you guys are going to continue to self-manage as you grow you know, your next 100, 200, 300 units, continue to keep that in house. Uh, do you guys look at possibly third partying out and becoming a, a third party manager? That's a good question. We get it all the time. And the answer is a hard no. Okay. Because third party management, for there's a lot of reasons for it. One is you're taking on all the headache, but you're not getting great margins. So one from like a growing a business and making lots of money standpoint, it's not the place to do it. So you're taking on all the hard work and you're getting kind of marginal compensation. But for us, the reason that we wanted to keep property management in-house is because we firmly believe that whoever's closest to the consumer wins. At the end of the day, if you can control as many facets of the user's experience as possible, then you're going to win long-term. And for us, that meant controlling the property management so we can control um, the, you know, the residents' interactions and their experience on the properties. And then we can also ensure for our investors that we're doing everything possible to do right by them. Mm-hmm. And you run into the, the classic principal agent problem when you're outsourcing to a third party, regardless of what it is, if it's property management or anything else, like nobody cares as much as you do about your thing. And one of the things that we never want to find ourselves at a crossroads with is the idea that we've taken on a client's or a third party's portfolio to manage. So now they're a customer, but they're a customer that's kind of at odds with our own customer, which is both our investors and our tenants. So now we have like this three-way battle between who we're trying to serve. And mm-hmm. so we're, we just take a hard line and say, nope, we're not going to deal with that. We're going to keep our eyes on our, our customers. Mm-hmm. And that, that's over here, these two. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, uh, property management is a really interesting industry because, you know, at a minimum, you've generally got two customers, right? You've got tenants and you've got owners. Now, whether mm-hmm. you're the owner or, you know, in our case, we do third-party management as well as manage, you know, the assets that I have some ownership in. Uh, but you, you do find that that dichotomy, you know, you have two people with sort of opposing views and how do you, yeah. how do you marry those two in the middle? How do you take good care of an asset while charging as much, getting somebody else to pay as much as possible and trying to have somebody else that wants to spend as little as possible, right? Both people want to yep. spend less and, you know, 
Yeah, it's actually fascinating when you put it like that, because it's like you're selling the same product to two different customers. It's like selling a, a, a supercar to a guy who wants a fast car and also to a person who just wants a car. Mm -hmm. And you have to it has to somehow marry the two. And it's like, I don't know when a lot of times what ends up happening is you have to make judgment calls that favors one or the other. Yeah. And usually it's in the favor of the owner. I would say if you're a third property manager, like at the end of the day, they're the ones that are really writing the checks. And so if you have to choose who to please, it's probably that one. But that's a long-term failing strategy because really the more important customer is the one that's actually paying the rent, like keeping them in the building and like maintaining occupancy and you know high efficiency. That's mm -hmm. really the key that wins the game. Yeah. And so, you know, for us, we found that finding the type of owner that is going to want to have the asset of the quality that allows us to keep a tenant in there for many mm -hmm. years is kind of a way to, to bridge that gap, right? We don't want the owner that says, I don't want to spend any money. I want my CapEx budget as small as possible. I want to, you know, keep repairs and maintenance to only a livable condition, right? We don't, we don't want that. We want the owner that says, yes, let's, let's take this up from a, you know, a C to a C plus or a C plus to a B minus, right? Let's take this property up a grade and, and, and operate it more efficiently so that the tenants want to stay in there. And that, you know, finding and striking that balance it is a trick. And, and, you know, with those opposing viewpoints, yes, we do. Now, long-term, the tenant is, is an important part. They're not a commodity that's replaceable because at some point, you know, you could theoretically run out of tenants, but you don't want to get a reputation for being the type of property manager that just chews through tenants because then, frankly, the owner gets upset because they're having all the releasing costs as well. They're starting mm -hmm. to drive up. So. Yeah, this reminds me of uh, Naval Ravikant, who's an angel investor out of Silicon Valley. He has a quote, which is play long-term games with long-term people. Mm -hmm. and, you, and you always need to take the long view, whether you're dealing with tenants, you're dealing with owners, like whoever, like be in a relationship with people who can see the long horizon that aren't just in it for the quick transaction. Because like you're saying there is tenant turnover is one of the biggest expenses. And yeah. too often owners, they come in, they have their eyes on the revenue side of the equation, say, let's drive the revenue and let's just, you know, worry about that. And that's the mm -hmm. big thing. But what that ends up doing then is it drives, you know, up your vacancy rates as you're turning these tenants, you're getting in there and you're doing the renovations. And so your budget's expanding. Yep. And for me, one of the most impactful business lessons I've ever learned is that, you know, a dollar saved is, more, is better than a dollar earned because a dollar earned is always on a margin. So if you're running on a 50% margin, $1 of added revenue is only worth 50 cents to your bottom line. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you can go in there and decrease expenses by $1, that's a, that's a full dollar back in your pocket. Yeah. And the easiest way to cut expenses then is to keep tenants so that you don't have unit turn costs. And the way that you do that is by serving them exceptionally. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And then that's where it comes on, you know, us as the property managers to serve them exceptionally. Mm -hmm. And what does that look like in our eyes and in the eyes of the tenants to have them served exceptionally, right? What are, what are we doing besides providing, you know, responsiveness for maintenance, making sure that they don't have a property that's unsafe or uninhabitable, right? Is meeting, meeting, you know, their, their needs within reason to make sure that they've got a decent property and they're satisfied with where they're living. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. You know, and I would say like, for people that are interested in be, like being property managers and like taking to that next level is that understand that nobody gives you bonus points or five stars for meeting their need, like their basic needs. Like you go, you go to Olive Garden, all, um, sorry, Olive Garden, they bring you some breadsticks, but the breadsticks are stale and cold. Like they met your needs, but like, you're not going to leave them a five-star review. Like, <laughs> like you, yeah. 
you 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 need to serve their wants and like really understand like, like hey this is a person's like where they live this is their home and so what is the standard that i take to my home like is it i want my toilet working well yeah but like that's not really like the highest like thing that i think about when i think about my home and what makes me happy to live there and yeah. so some of the things that make me happy to live there are you know it's comfortable it feels com it makes me feel safe and that's a feeling that that's hard to quantify or you know objectively measure but mm -hmm. you know that's one of those things that we as property managers can really help with especially when you're working in you know workforce housing class c uh tenants and areas like mm -hmm. they're not always the best and so like safety is a really big concern especially for the female demographic where it's like i just want a place where i feel safe and so how do we how do we make our properties and our communities feel that way mm -hmm. No, that's those are those are valid points, and you know that's something that we're always working on is trying to make sure that the communities feel safe and that nobody feels uncomfortable being being where they're at. You know, and and we've been working with you know putting in security systems, getting out bad tenants, you know, entrance, uh, you know, entry security, that sort of stuff, which which mm -hmm. has been huge. So, uh, you know, here's here's kind of a question that I like to ask everybody. So, you know, in your, you know, in your experience as a as an owner and as a as a property manager. You know, what is the biggest value or something that a property manager can do to bring value to the owners? Typically, where we're going with that. To the owners, I think it's serving the the tenants and the residents as, to the best of their ability. And mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of ways that you can make tenants feel cared for and not just like a number. And, mm -hmm. you know, some of the companies that I like to shop with are the ones that make me feel like I matter to them, regardless of how big they are. And so don't just look at the, the technical, yeah, the toilets are working, the lights are on, the doors are locked, like, like that's all good and, and dandy. But think about how do you how do you create raving fans out of your tenants? And that's not super hard to do. Like, let's say during COVID, you know, back, back when we first went into shutdown, you know, there was a toilet paper crisis. And a really great story from another uh, operator in the space. He's like, you know, our property management team just went around and gave out toilet paper. It's like things like that, where it's like, you're, you're showing that you care, that you're invested and you understand the, the problems that they're facing. And so, you know, one of the things that we did during the shutdown was, you know, being really proactive about putting together um, aid assistance plans and saying, here's all the places that you can go right now that have assistance. And mm -hmm. that if you reach out to them, they can help you if you're struggling, you're out of work or whatever. And just like taking that time to sit there with that person and say, Hey, let's, let's figure this out together. You know, that's what you can do to ultimately serve the owner because that customer, that, that resident, they're going to stay there longer. So you're going to have less turnover. They're going to leave better reviews. They're going to damage things way less. Like yes. they're easier to work with. Yes, right? absolutely. So, <laughs> it's, it's, but it, what I call that is return on karma. You can't mm -hmm. calculate it. You, you, you can't point to it and say, well, because we were nice to this person and went above and beyond for them, they didn't in the end, like drive their car through the, the front door. Mm -hmm. You can never know that, right? Yeah. So a lot of people then assume that there was no return, but it's there. You just have to trust that, you know, if you put out good into the universe, it will come back. Yeah. A, a lot of the best things that we can do as property managers, uh, you know, when it comes to interacting with the tenants is not necessarily tangible. It's the intangible stuff. And sometimes it can't be quantified, mm -hmm. but Long term, if we could compare what we're doing that's unquantifiable to what, you know, whether it's good or bad, we would be able to see quantifiable results, but it's just mm -hmm. not immediately quantifiable. And it's, it's some of those soft skills that are relational that are hard. It's not just a numbers based 
thing. It's 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 a it's a very much a relational industry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I would say one of the ways, one of the like boots on the ground tactical ways that you can really manifest this is by being proactive with your tenants and having conversations when you're in the building, when you see them in in the parking lot or wherever, is actually taking that time to approach and have the conversation because you have to understand the the dichotomy of the relationship that you have. This is their home, but you're their landlord. Mm-hmm. And that feels weird. That's a that's a weird juxtaposition to have like this is I this is mine, but somebody else controls my experience here. And mm-hmm. so you're automatically in a position of power over that person. And a lot of people, something breaks, they don't want to tell you about it because they're afraid you're going to be mad, you're going to get upset, you're going to charge them. But yeah. if you take the time to like reach out and say, hey, you know, we we appreciate you letting us know that your toilet was on the run last month. How's that working out for you? Mm-hmm. Like, have there been any other issues or, you know, like just taking the time to proactively anticipate what those potential concerns are that the tenant would have and just get ahead of it and say like, yeah, we see that we're here to help. And like, we want to have this two-way conversation because when you do that, those tenants then as things break, they don't hide them. Yeah. You know, they don't wait two or three months to say, oh yeah, by the way, my toilet's leaking. And then you go and look at the toilet and you're like, your toilet's cracked. Like, like just, just water everywhere. What do you mean? Like, yeah, it's yeah. leaking. Like it's been there for a while. So people Some don't hide ruin. things. Yeah. 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 No, we've definitely taken over properties where there was subpar property management before we got there. And that sort of thing was never going on. And then we go into the property because of one issue and they're like, well, I've got this, you know, a dozen other major issues. And they're like, why? You've got our phone number. You know how to get a hold of us. Like, why didn't you call us? Why didn't you put in a maintenance request through the online portal? Like, where was this communication? And it was because of that broken relationship before we got there. So, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, as you've started to become a property manager, you self-managed, you know, that's obviously changed, you know, from talking to you, I can tell that's changed your perspective on how you view tenants and how you interact with them maybe uh, prior to when you invested, right. And that, in that relationship, mm-hmm. you know, as you continue to go forwards in, in your property management journey or your ownership journey, you know, what is something that you want to help bring to the property management industry besides, you know, just that, just that constant, you know, understanding like the importance of the tenants, what's something else that you want to bring to the industry? You know, that's the biggest part of it, honestly, is really just changing people's perceptions that this, yes, apartments, they're, they're a product, you know, the reason I, my perspective on this, I think is maybe slightly different than a lot of people's because my very first property I did as a house hack, I FHA did and I lived in okay. one unit and I rented out the other two. So I was in the building with them every day and I could see the issues and I could see what they are hiding. I could see the issues I was facing in my own unit. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I, and there's, there's few ways that you can make a bigger impact on this world than helping improve the quality of somebody's living conditions. Mm-hmm. Right. And we take it for granted because we live in a first world country and these tenants, you know, they're paying a thousand dollars and that's a one bedroom, whatever. And you just go, yeah, it's, it's an apartment. It's not a big mm-hmm. deal. No, it's their home. It's their everything. Yeah. And so you can, you can make such a positive impact by making that the best experience for them, whether you're class C housing or class A housing doesn't matter. Like at the end of the day, a lot of, a lot of operators, they think in terms of units. When mm-hmm. we sit down we say, how many units do you have? Oh, I have a hundred units. I, I challenge people to think about this differently and think about it in terms of families served. So okay. instead of a hundred units, it's a hundred families served. And that changes the perspective then, because now you're not just in the real estate business, you're in the people business. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's, that's, that is a great way to think about it. And yeah, when you step back and think about it, you know, if you were there with your, by yourself or 
with your spouse and your kids and you're in this two bedroom apartment and you're having to deal with these issues, would you want your family to be exposed to those issues? So mm -hmm. no, that's, that's, that's a great way to think about it. And I think that I would encourage as many people to think about, you know, the fact that we're serving families and, and it's, it's their residence more than just, uh, you know, it's, it's a commodity or a transaction. So no, that's, that's yeah. very insightful. It's not just a, it's not just a cash flowing, you know, asset with yeah. tax benefits, right? Like, <laughs> As, as investors, yeah, that's what we see when we mm -hmm. look at a building. But if you want to be an effective property manager, you have to see the people behind it, the people that you're serving. Yeah, no, absolutely. I love that. I love that. Well, uh, you know, Anthony, as you continue to go forwards in your, you know, your journey, you know, how can people get a hold of you and how can people help you grow? Yeah, so come and find us at InvictusMultifamily.com. And, you know, what we do right now is we're really passionate in serving two demographics. One is our tenants, our residents, like mm -hmm. creating a quality living environment for them. But the other then is also making these investment opportunities available to as many people as possible. Because, mm -hmm. you know, the stock market's great. Don't get me wrong. But I don't personally like having all my ducks in that one basket. I don't know if you put ducks in a basket. But I don't like <laughs> yeah, it. You, you could. So, yeah, you could do it. Like, but I want to make this, we want to make this, um, you know, multifamily investment vehicle available to as many people as possible. And so we're mm -hmm. big advocates on the syndication model and educating people on how to passively invest in it because mm -hmm. it can be very, very powerful and it's not as scary and hard as most people think. So we have a free resource that we have available at Invictus Multifamily slash Quick Start. And that's just a quick start guide where it's going to take you from beginning, not knowing anything about passive investing up to the point where you're comfortable maybe reaching out to an operator and having your first conversation and seeing if maybe you could get into a deal that way. Because honestly, the number of lives that we've seen positively impacted by being participants in multifamily syndications, it's like pretty enormous. Mm -hmm. it's, it's powerful. And so we want to, we wanted to spread that word. So go find us there at InvictusMultifamily.com. Find me on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram. I'm everywhere. We put out a ton of educational content because uh -huh. we're firm believers that competence breeds confidence and competence starts with learning. So you got to start learning. It'll build your muscle and then you'll start feeling confident and ready to start taking action. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. Well, thank you so much, Anthony. Had a great conversation with you. Loved learning about what you're doing and your fresh views on property management. And I wish you the best and hopefully a great 2021. You as well. Thanks for having me. Thank you.